Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas, and here's a question for us all. Are we living contented lives? Writing in Psychology's magazine this last week, novelist Amanda Prouse describes how it has taken her a lifetime to discover that neither stuff nor success are the gateway to greater happiness, and that understanding has helped her quieten the voice of comparison. Amanda writes, The grass is always greener is a phrase that has rung true for most of us at some point in our lives. Not so much raw jealousy or a seething desire to have what others have, but a milder mental itch. The idea that we want to keep up with those around us or that others have it easier or better than we do. Amanda confesses that as a single mum in her 30s, she struggled to make ends meet and felt like everyone was racing ahead in life. She figured that they were stockpiling cash, making plans, having fun, while she ran on a hamster wheel just to stay still, laying awake in the early hours worrying about her lack of funds and feeling so lonely. Amanda continues... Emerging from this period in my life changed my idea of what constituted success. I was no longer overly concerned with having spare bedrooms in the house, but was instead extremely grateful to have a roof over our heads at all. I'm now in my mid-50s, she says, and thankfully have quietened the voice of comparison that caused me endless angst in my youth. I realized that what you see is not always a complete picture. It was when I found success as a writer, able to buy a house with many spare bedrooms, that I realized that the acquisition of stuff didn't bring me the fulfillment I had anticipated. Far from it. Success coincided with the breakdown of my son's mental health, and I spent night after night wandering the hallways, fearful for his future, doing my best to keep him here. To the outside world, I had it all. Yet I would have given back every penny, every accolade, every bit of success if it meant a peaceful night for my boy. This still holds true. Psychotherapist, podcaster and author Julia Samuel says, Comparing your insides to anyone else's outsides is a direct route to misery and madness. We can never really know what someone else's life is like, whatever image they might be showing. The most important things in life can't be bought, love and health. We can't always stop ourselves feeling envy, which is more murderous and poisonous than jealousy, but we can adapt our behaviours to protect ourselves and be aware of the toxic messages in our heads. Contentment, that's our theme tonight. It was a bumper sticker and spotting it, I was intrigued. It simply said, I want my dog's life. I glanced at the grinning mutt that was staring back at me through the rear window of the stickered car. Its tail was wagging, which apparently means it was feeling good, although there's been no interview with a dog to actually confirm that theory. Its tongue was lolling, the canine face fixed in that smile that dogs sport when they're hot and their mouths are wide open. That dog looked rather happy. For a moment, having its life seemed like a rather appealing idea because, let's face it, dogs have it pretty easy. 
They have no mortgage to worry about. They go to the bathroom wherever they please. And their main work is to bark at anyone who looks remotely like a burglar. Dogs have no idea what a prime minister, a president, a coronavirus or a stock market crash looks like. Having a dog's life sounded rather attractive. But then I thought again. These days, dogs usually exist on a diet of rather bland-looking pellets. It must be irritating to have to sit, fetch and beg on command and sleep in a wicker basket. And then there's all that bottom sniffing that is routinely doggy etiquette when meeting a fellow dog. That is not appealing. It's a dog's life. That was a phrase birthed in the 16th century because back then, dogs lived outside, were fed on scraps and generally had short and fairly miserable lives. As I pondered the aforementioned sticker, I wondered, do we waste time wishing that we had somebody else's existence rather than living in contentment? We can spend our days regretting that we are not that other person who is richer, thinner, better looking, smarter or more successful. We devour magazines devoted to photographing and chronicling the lives of airbrushed celebrities. Are we fascinated with the well-heeled and famous because we just love a slice of the life that they have, which surely must be happier than our own? That craving can lead us into disaster as we fritter our days away with ingratitude, longing for someone else's wife, someone else's life. Perhaps that's why when God had just 10 things that he wanted to say to humanity, a strong warning about coveting one's neighbor's stuff appeared on the list. But it's not just about materialism. Recently, I've caught myself hankering for an earlier version of my own life, back to when our children were young, when life seemed simpler. Nostalgia paints yesterday's sky bluer. Untamed daydreaming tomorrow's grass greener. Endless preoccupation with what was in the past or with what might possibly be in the future stills our ability to be fully present in today. I was gripping hold of life so tightly, I was squeezing the life out of life. Surely, true success is found in being contented, an attitude that the Apostle Paul learned to embrace. He had a rougher life than most and would never have made the pages of one of those glossy celeb-celebrating magazines. Everywhere Paul went, there was a riot. Assassins pledged to kill him. He tasted deep despair, but somehow he became content. By God, literally, I'd like to learn that lesson too. I'm asking the Lord to enroll me in Contentment Academy. Perhaps here's a step in the right direction with this declaration from me. I don't want to be Tom Cruise, Albert Einstein, Gandhi, or if you don't mind me saying so, you. I don't want my dog's life, my earlier life, or the impossibly suave George Clooney's life. Hold on, being Mr. Clooney, just for a while, would be rather nice. Oops, back to school. Yep, that was a huge hit for Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones back in 1965. And there are a couple of interesting lines in the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. 
Jagger sings, when a man come on the radio, he's telling me more and more. Man comes on and tells me how white my shirts can be. And almost in an exasperated tone, Jagger responds, I try and I try and I try. And he concludes again by singing that famous line, I can't get no satisfaction. As we've been thinking a little about contentment, let's know that the call to contentment is incredibly radical. It's a countercultural call, a call to break step with the crowd. Discontentment is destructive. It robs us of life. A tragic and well-known example of this is John D. Rockefeller, the famous oil man of the late 1800s. When he was asked the question, how much money is enough money, he famously replied, just a little bit more. At the time, Rockefeller owned 90% of Standard Oil, and his wealth was so vast, it equaled 1% of the entire US economy. A lack of contentment is surely a root of crime the illegal drug trade, alcohol abuse, marriage fragmentation, body shaming, and more. Lack of contentment surfaced in the paradise of the Garden of Eden. The first couple had it all, but they heard from God, don't touch that tree, and we all know what happened there. Today, contentment seems elusive, for Christians included. Perhaps it always has been. I've been dipping into a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It was written by a man called Jeremiah Burroughs, published in 1648. It's interesting that Burroughs calls contentment a rare jewel. The Apostle Paul calls it a secret. Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 and says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Back to that Jeremiah Burroughs, he says, contentment does not come, I say, by adding to what we want, but by subtracting from our desires. If you and I, if we're to be contented, perhaps we need to do a little mathematics around our lives. As we've been thinking about contentment, I'm reminded of Paul Tournier's words, He says that most people spend their whole lives indefinitely preparing to live. For all of us, isn't it true, the challenge, the call is for us to not only live today, but live today God's way. Let's listen to some words from the Apostle Paul. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul is pointing all of us to the truth that the way that we think leads to an attitude of contentment. And then in verse 12 of Philippians 4, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret 
of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, as I read those words, as we hear them together, I need to confess that I just feel like I'm in infant school when it comes to being in the academy of learning contentment. But I'm challenged, perhaps you will be too, by Hugh Prather's words. He wrote in notes to myself, if only I had forgotten future greatness and looked at the green things and reached out to those around me and smelled the air and heard the rain on my roof and put my arms around my wife. Perhaps it's not too late. See you next week. Lucas on Life.